Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, every Sunday is a great Sunday here at Southridge. We're thrilled that you are here. We're in part three of a series entitled Spiritual Resolutions. We kicked off with this idea that we all want a better life. Nobody's sitting here saying, you know what? I just really want a life that sucks. You know, nobody's sitting here thinking that. We're all thinking, hey, how can I have a better life? And on the process of having a better life, many of us have struggled each year when it comes to January with maybe this thing called resolutions. And you said, yeah, I've made them and I broke them and I'm tired of doing it. But this year can be different if you understand that when it comes to resolutions, it's not about the amount of resolutions that you make. That doesn't lead to a better life. What makes a better life is the amount of time you put into the resolutions. It's not amount of resolutions. It's the amount of time you put into the resolutions, which is why in week number one of this series, we talked about faithfulness. And we talked about the key is to be faithful. And the most powerful picture to the people around us is the faithful lives of God's people. And we started off there because last week we talked about vision. And we asked this question, do you have a clear view of your vision? Because where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, There's an old proverb that says, he who aims at nothing hits at every time. So this year, we're coming into this year, and we want to have a clear vision of what God wants us to accomplish. And we said vision is something that is out of reach, but not out of sight. And we said the vision here at Southridge We started with the mission. The mission is to lead people to find and follow Jesus, but the vision is to change the world. Well, this morning, I want to kick off this morning with this new idea that actually I get hesitant to talk about because it just seems like, I mean, we hear this word and to me, it kind of gets overused. And so I kind of shy away from this word. And this word is the word momentum. There's just something about it. When the church talks about like momentum, I kind of get a little bit skeptical, right? Like, isn't this God's work? Like uh, momentum, I mean, that's, that's something where maybe today you're praying that the 49ers get some momentum and win. Maybe that's what you're praying. Uh, you've heard sports teams talk about momentum. You, you've seen uh, athletes talk about momentum. Maybe you work at a place where they said, hey, we already got some great momentum going into the new year. You, you kind of see it, Right. But then what would your year look like if you had momentum? I mean, momentum just makes things easier. They say, and uh, if you have a train that's traveling at 50 miles per hour, that train can break through five feet of reinforced concrete wall without stopping. If it's just traveling at 55 miles per hour. That's pretty incredible because it has momentum. But that same train, if you took a one inch block of steel and put it under each tire, it goes nowhere. And maybe that's how you feel this year. You feel like my life is not really going anywhere. But yet when you've had those times where you have momentum, it just feels like you can hit any obstacle and you break right through it. And you kind of just like look back and like wonder, hey, did we hit something? We're we're just going. I mean, just the difference it can have. You know, I don't like talking about it because sometimes I feel like if I talk about momentum, I jinx my momentum. You say, you got to be kidding me, jinxing the momentum. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just weird like that. Like my wife and I, uh, we'll every once in a while look over at each other and then one of us will invariably say, hey, we haven't fought in a while. And I'm like, as soon as the words come out of one of our mouths, immediately there's something to fight about. 
It's crazy. So I'm like, oh, no, 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 don't say it. Don't jinx it. We're, we're on a good, we're on a good stretch. We've made it five days. All right. You know, we made it a week, you know, it's been, it's been three days, you know, or it's been three weeks. It's, it's been a long time. Let's not jinx it. So when I talk about momentum, I'm like, oh man, if I talk about it, is that going to mess up the momentum? Well, maybe you're like me and you have actually misunderstood momentum. And this morning I want to clarify and correct our misunderstanding around momentum. And I want to ask you a question. What would this year look like if you had spiritual momentum? What would your relationships look like if you had spiritual momentum? That even if there's an obstacle, you break right through it, no problem. What would your parenting look like if you had spiritual momentum? What would your finances look like if you had that spiritual momentum? What would your career look like if you had spiritual momentum? And if you are like me and you don't know how you got momentum, then you won't know how to get momentum in the future. Let me say that again. If you don't know how you got momentum in the past, you will not know how you get momentum in the future. Because many of us look at momentum and we kind of think it's something that we just kind of wait on, like hopefully it happens. But I want to turn our attention to scripture this morning, to a familiar passage of scripture. Genesis chapter number 41. If you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter number 41. And if you don't have a Bible, you could download the Southridge app and there it has a scripture. Or you could talk to one of our leaders where they would love to give you a Bible. It's called a New Believer's Bible. We'd love to give you one for free. So just see one of them after the service. But we want you to understand that God's word has the power to change us. I'd also love for you to take notes because I feel like some of the things that are going to be talked about this morning can radically impact your life. And we say it like this, note takers are history makers. And so maybe taking notes. Last week, I found somebody's notes from the message. And I was so pumped because it took such detailed notes. And I was like, man, this is really good. This is better than the message I preach. I'm going to steal this and keep it. And if you were missing your notes, sorry, I'm not giving them back because you did a way better job. You could re-preach that message. It was good. But we would love for you to take notes because I believe that God's going to share some things with you that's going to help you and change you. Well, do you have your Bible, Genesis 41? Notice you would, verse 39, the Bible says this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people and will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have rank higher than you. This is Pharaoh. At that time, the world power talking to Joseph. And Joseph is in Egypt. Joseph's story is a familiar one. I'm almost intimidated to preach it because if you grew up in the church, you know the story of Joseph. You know it starts in Genesis chapter number 37, that Joseph is the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Jacob loves Joseph more than his other 11 sons because Joseph was born to Rachel and Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob. And Jacob's father is Isaac. Isaac's father is Abraham. We talked about Abraham last week. And so this is Joseph, the favorite son. And Joseph grew up in a place of privilege at his house. And guess what? Joseph wasn't even the oldest in his family. He was number 11. I mean, it's difficult being the middle child. It's difficult being the last child. But I mean, can you imagine being child number 11? I mean, just imagine all the handy-down clothes. I mean, those handy-downs, by the time it gets to you, it's just a little bit of fabric. That's all you get, just a little bit of fabric, nothing left. 
Just be glad, Joseph, you didn't have all sisters. All right, that'd be brutal. But here we go. Here's Joseph. And Joseph's father gives him a coat that should have gone to the oldest. But instead, because Joseph uh, was favored by his father Jacob, he gets a coat of many colors. The brothers realize that this is an injustice. The oldest brother should get this. But this is going to the 11th brother. He's getting the coat. And this coat represented so much more than just a jacket. It represented that this was a favored son, that he was privileged. And this coat gets him into trouble. His brothers hate him. So his brothers take him, throw him into a pit. And they're thinking and debating about killing him. But as they're debating about killing him, there's a a caravan that's headed to Egypt and they're slave traders. They take their brother and said, hey, why would we kill him? Why don't we make some money off of him? So they sell him for 20 pieces of silver and he goes to Egypt. In Egypt, he's bought at a slave market by Potiphar. Potiphar then takes him into his house. But then Potiphar's eyes see, Potiphar's wife, sees Joseph and she sees that he's a good looking guy. And so Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, but Joseph isn't falling for it. But Potiphar's wife still accuses Joseph. Joseph then is accused and Potiphar throws Joseph into prison for an injustice, a slight that he didn't commit. He's in prison for a couple of years. He meets a baker and he also meets a butler. He interprets some dreams. He helps him out. And for two years, he languishes in that prison. And then when we get to chapter 41, it's been 17 years from when he first was found in a pit to now we meet him in a palace. 17 years. And that's where we're at. Let me read just a few more verses. Because in verse number 41, the Bible says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge in the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed the signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Joseph was in charge of all Egypt. Here's the question. How did Joseph get there? You ever think about that? I think sometimes we read the Bible, but we don't really read it and ask questions. I mean, how did Joseph get there? It's not the same question as like, hey, how did you get to church? You're like, well, I got in my car. I typed in the address of my GPS and that's how I got here. No, no, no. How did you get here? How you got to this life stage and age and how you got to this position, this career. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened. How did Joseph get here? Because Joseph had a dream and in his dream, he saw his brothers bowing down to him, but it wasn't exactly his brothers. It was his brother's sheaves. They were binding uh, wheat in the field. And then Joseph's other 11 siblings, their sheaves bowed down to him, signifying that his brothers were going to bow down. That was the first dream. Then he has a second dream. The second dream, it's a bunch of stars. And Joseph is a star. And all the other 11 stars, they bow down to him. But not just the other stars. His father, Jacob, the patriarch of the family, the one with the Abrahamic covenant that was passed on to him, that was given to Isaac. And Isaac gave it to him. That that man, the one that should be in charge, was also bowing down to Joseph. How did Joseph get there? This morning... I'm actually going to preach two messages in one because I just don't know how to divide this up because there's something I want to help and teach us about momentum, but I've got to, I've got to do it in such a way because I think we need to understand how momentum works. So to do that, I need to ask questions. Does anybody need some help this morning? Is there an area of your life you say, yeah, I could use some help? Anybody? Anybody need financial help? You say, yeah, I need financial help. Okay, I saw the first hand over there. All right, there we go. Need some financial help. There's five bucks. There you go. Yeah, you raise your hand. Yeah, it's five bucks. I think that'll get you a Big Mac, maybe. 
Anybody else? Financial help? You need some financial help? Anybody else? <laughs> These are smart kids. I'm telling you what. Man, there we go. The youngest one. Pass that down to your sister. There we go. Anybody else? You, you need some help. Anybody need some energy in here? You need some extra energy? Anybody need some energy? Oh, I got some hands with energy. Look, I got some Celsius here. My, 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 um, I should get sponsored by these people. Oh, there we go. I got somebody who needs Celsius. There we go. I got you. Got you. Anybody else? Need some, oh, there we go. Oh, we have a couple hands over there. Man, sorry. Uh, they, they were up first. Sorry, Jonathan. There we go. We got a Celsius for you. Anybody, anybody need some food? You need some food? Right, anybody? Food? Anybody on the Daniel Fast? Because I got an orange in here. This is the last one. Anybody need orange? Orange? No, no takers? No takers? Oh, man. I was like, yes, I get to keep my orange. All right, here we go. Sorry. There we go. Oh, smooth. That's what I did this morning. There we go. How many of you would say I helped you? I helped. Some of you are like, yeah, it kind of helped. You know, here's the problem. You and I look at help the same way we look at motivation or momentum. You are waiting for somebody to come in and help you and fix something for you that you feel powerless to fix. That is the same way you look at momentum. You are looking at momentum like you are stuck in doldrums and you are just waiting for somebody else to fix it all. But I'm going to tell you a biblical truth that can radically change your life. How did Joseph get here? Did the people love him get him there? Oh, talk back to me, church. Come on. I know this is the second hour. You got extra sleep than everybody else. You should be more awake. Here we go. Come on. No. It wasn't the people that loved him. Here's the statement. The people that you think helped you weren't trying to help you. They were trying to hurt you. And they ended up helping you the most. Joseph's brothers were trying to hurt him, not help him. But what did they end up doing? Help him. You and I think momentum has to come from people that are trying to help you. No, it doesn't. And that is going to keep you locked into this thinking that momentum's got to come from my boss, got to come from my wife, it's got to come from the boyfriend, got to come from the girlfriend, it's got to come from the lottery, it's got to come from a career, it's got to come from a promotion, it's got to come from the pastor, it's got to come from the coworker, it's got to come from life's just got to be perfect, it's got to be blue skies, rainbows, the clouds got to part, and God's going to look down and say, I love you, and for you to have momentum. That's not how it works. Some of the greatest help you ever received came from people who weren't trying to help you. But you don't look at help the right way. Here's the problem. People come to church and say, that church didn't help me. Here's the problem. You don't understand scripture. Scripture says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So the people you think helping you aren't actually helping you. We now live in a culture that isn't helping, they're enabling, and there is a difference. They're enabling, not helping. And you need to get this principle. You need to understand it because it'll help you to understand how momentum works. You see, Joseph in his life, he had to come to a point where he realized these people, they're trying to hurt me, but this hurt is actually leading to my help. That's how it worked. Because if they hadn't thrown him in a pit, he would have missed the caravan. If he would have missed the caravan, he wouldn't have made it into Potiphar's house. If he wouldn't have made it into Potiphar's house, Potiphar wouldn't have put him into the prison. What kind of prison was it? Was it a normal prison? It was not a normal prison. It was a prison for the political people, for the leaders. That's the type of prison it was. It was the Pharaoh's special prison, but because Potiphar was chief in command of Pharaoh's army, that's where Potiphar put him. It was in that prison that he met the Pharaoh's butler and baker. And so those bad circumstances are what got him to be 
be promoted. You and I are looking at all the bad things in our life and we're stepping back saying, my life is terrible. My life is awful. I never catch a break. But you don't understand all those things that people are trying to hurt you are actually helping you. I'll give you an illustration. I went to a small Bible college. Our Bible college was maybe 700 students, tops. That's freshmen all the way through our master's program. 700 students, small. I basically kind of knew everybody on campus, and I was dating, at the time, Jane. But we had a vice president of the college. This guy's smart. He's talented. He's tall. He's about 6'7", 6'6". He played Division I basketball. He started business companies. This guy had a, 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 a memory that was just incredible. I mean, his recall, he knew books. He was super smart, well-educated, had all kinds of degrees. And he had a favorite student on campus, and he had a least favorite student. And his favorite student was not me. I know, surprise. It was Jane, who was his least favorite student student. Me, I know, surprise. And I was like, how can this be? How can he have a favorite who I'm dating and a least favorite? Me. And what this vice president of the college would do would have conversations with the girl I'm dating trying to break us up. I kid you not, this stuff would happen. I was like, oh, I'm going to throw hands. You know, I'm getting upset. You know, some of you are like throwing hands. I know it's something that I learned. Ask Kevin what it means. I don't know what it means. I just say it. Let's try to sound relevant. I think it means fighting. And uh, I would just get mad at this guy. Here's the problem. Because of the things that he would say, man, it got me kind of motivated. He would say, that guy doesn't work very hard. He doesn't pay his bills. He doesn't show up on time. All of a sudden, everything he said, I was like, mm, hold my microphone. I'm about to show you. Watch out. You see, you and I will not understand momentum if we don't understand that the people that are coming into your life that are trying to hurt you are the very people that God is going to use to help you. You see, in Genesis 37, verse 24, it says, Then they grabbed him, threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water. They wanted to harm him, but yet you and I don't understand that they were actually helping him because Joseph wasn't going to get the right help from his dad because his dad was promoting him too quickly. He wasn't ready for the promotion. He didn't even know how to get along with his 11 siblings. How is he going to get to the point where he can rule Egypt? He wasn't ready. Some of us are asking God for such big things, and God's like, are you kidding me? You can't make your bed yet. What do you mean you want to run a business? You can't balance a checkbook. What do you mean you want to be a millionaire? What do you mean you want to be the supervisor of your company? You don't even show up on time, but yet you want to lead everybody else. Hold on, hold on, this back up, let's back up, let's back up. Because that's what we do, isn't it? Let's get honest with ourselves. You won't talk out loud, that's fine, but at least in your own mind say, yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I like to do that kind of stuff. You see, he understood something that you and I need to understand. Momentum is not based on a mood or a moment. And you and I want momentum to be based on our mood. Like, oh, I just want everything to feel good. Here's what I'm realizing. I took a couple weeks off because I fell down my stairs on Christmas Eve and so I couldn't go to the gym for a couple weeks. Bruised up a rib, messed up my shoulder, and then landed on my head. And uh, uh, it just took a little while of recovery, super sore, so I eased back into the gym last week. Can I tell you something? That first day back was not hard at all. You say, why, because you went easy? No, no, no. For me, the soreness of working out shows up the next day. But you know that pain isn't actually pain, it's progress. My muscles told me something. 
Even though it felt like I needed to put icy hot all over my body, what my muscles were actually saying is, you got momentum. You've been working something. You've been moving something. Something's happening in your body and it hurts. And you and I were like, oh, my marriage hurts. That's the very thing means you're moving forward. You say, my finances is tight and I'm beginning to tithe. I'm beginning to be generous. I'm beginning to share my finances with those around me and family and friends. And it hurts. And that's exactly right. It's good. You're saying, man, my schedule's getting tighter. I'm spending more time with my kids and I don't have as much time for me to watch Netflix and just do nothing and I'm investing in my kids and I'm spending less time over here and I'm trying to spend more time on my Bible. I'm trying to spend more time with God and I feel like my constraint, I feel some pain here, but that pain is what's actually going to lead to the promotion that you're looking for. You see, Joseph was getting it. You see, you keep looking for people to help you and missing out on what help actually looks like. You see, people in my life and in your life that helped you the most weren't trying to help you. Joseph's brother said, come now, let us kill him. That was their intent, was to kill this guy. They didn't have good intention for him, but yet something good came from it. You see, God wants to do something in your life. So here's my question. Why don't you have spiritual momentum in your life? Why don't you have it? Is it because you're waiting for the help wanted? You're like, I'm just waiting on momentum then you don't understand how momentum works. You see, what stops spiritual momentum in your life? Something can stop it. You see, simply hoping for something doesn't change anything. Hope in and of itself changes nothing. Only behaviors do. Please get this and please understand this. Momentum is a behavior. Momentum is a behavior. Okay, first message done. Now we're into the second message. Okay, We're doing great on time. Hang with me. But what would your life look like if you had that momentum? What if you understood momentum is a behavior? And if it's a behavior, that means you don't have to be rich and famous and good looking. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean you have to know Genesis to Revelation. It means you can pronounce it Malachi and Job, and you can pronounce all the books of the Bible wrong and palms. And guess what? You can still have spiritual momentum. You can still get what God wants for you if you understand that it's a behavior. It's something you do. So first and foremost, write this down. Do the right things. You say, okay, pastor, what are the right things? I'm going to ask you to make some time this week and ask the Holy Spirit to put on your heart what are the right things that you should be doing? Because what's right for me may not be right for you. A lot of people come up to me and say, oh, as a pastor, you should do this, 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 and this. And I'll say, from your perspective, That would be correct, but you do not have my perspective. And my perspective is different than yours because not only is it a church, we're also in a $10 million building program. Not only that, we're dealing with the county. Not only that, I'm dealing with the church that's growing. Not only that, we're dealing with all these ministries that are expanding. So from your perspective, you've got that. But then also I wanna be a pastor that actually keeps his marriage. I wanna be a pastor whose kids don't hate him. And I also wanna be a pastor that doesn't burn out. So from your perspective, you say, do this, this, and this, and this. Yes, from your perspective, that looks right. And I would agree, but you don't have my perspective. So understanding here, you have to do the right things, but what are the right things the Holy Spirit wants you to do? I can give you some basic ones where it comes to doing the right things. The right thing is reading your Bible. The right thing is praying. The right thing is being to church. These are some right things. Treat your spouse correctly. These are right things. But what are those right things for you that you need to do? Because that'll create the momentum. It's going to be hard at first, but it'll begin to build. You see, do the right things. If you were to go to Genesis chapter number 37, we see that Joseph started the first chapter we meet him. He does the right things. What's the right thing? Jacob comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, go find your brothers. 
And at that moment, you can read it in chapter 37. Jacob didn't hold up his jacket and say, Dad, I, I wear this jacket. Go have a servant do it. The Bible says he immediately went after his brothers. He obeyed. He knew how to do the right thing. And that obedience actually didn't make his life better or worse. Shout it out. You know the answer. Thank you. Can I tell you this and just get it in your system right now? Just get it in your mind. When you decide to do something for God, life's not going to get better. It's always going to get Always. Some of you are doing the Daniel fast right now. And you're like, I'm not seeing breakthrough. I got headaches. I have no mental clarity. I feel awful. I'm gassy because everything I eat is all these vegetables. I've got all these problems. And man, it's just like, I don't like this at all. Can't believe I said that on the podcast. We need to edit that out. But when life, when you decide I'm going to follow God, it's not going to get easier. It is going to get harder. You're going to find out, why am I fighting with my spouse more? I'm fasting. Shouldn't I have better marriage? Man, I started giving, being generous now. And all of a sudden, why is my car breaking down? The roof is leaking. And guess what? My business is flooded. Why do I have all these problems? Because you decided to do something from God. And when you decide to do something for God, guess what? It goes from bad. This is Joseph in the pit. And then you think, oh man, I'm going to get out of this pit. He does get out of the pit. What happens after the pit? He becomes a slave. It went from bad to worse. He's a slave. And can it get any worse? It's like alfalfa. The clouds parted and God said, I hate you, alfalfa. And God looked down and saw Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, guess what? It can get worse. You're going from the pit. You're going to be a slave. And now I'm putting you in prison. When you and I decide to do something from God, get ready for difficulty. Now for that pep talk, who wants to sign up and be a dedicated Christian? (laughs) I will tell you this, church. We're not here to raise an audience. We're here to raise an army. And soldiers understand that we need to endure hard things. And when we understand that these hard things aren't there to hurt us, but help us, it changes everything. It changes how you and I understand momentum. It changes the fact that maybe your marriage is in a very difficult spot. And in that very difficult spot, you say, okay, what's going to take? Date nights, we're going to go out, even though we're not going to talk to each other, but we're going to spend time. And maybe it's when you're saying, you know what? I'm upset at this person. You do what Jane and I do. Here's what we do. We're mad at each other. We haven't said a word to each other. And I'll take my pinky and I'll just, boop, just, hey, I love you. Just a little elbow, just a little nudge. And then she takes a blanket and makes that little wall, you know, tucks herself in. And I know everything's okay. Because I didn't get her right hook. You know, I could have got that right hook, mean right hook. But there's a time where you say, man, this is going to get worse. This is going to get harder. And God is right there with you. But you, in those moments, you do the right thing. What was the right thing? And the right thing is he is a victim. He's a slave. And now he's in Potiphar's house. And instead of telling Potiphar, Potiphar, I don't belong here. Potiphar, I used to have this jacket. I was a favorite of my son. Just let me write a letter to my dad. My dad will pay for everything. He'll get you more slaves. He'll trade me. Joseph didn't do any of that. He didn't say, I'm a victim. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've been maligned. I've been betrayed. I've gone through all this baggage. And I've got all this pain in my history. That's not what he does. You can read in chapter 39, Joseph works hard and he's the best servant for Potiphar and Potiphar notices it and Potiphar promotes him not once, not twice, but three times. Potiphar just keeps promoting Joseph and it gets to the point where Potiphar says this to Joseph, Joseph, you're in charge of everything. I'm only in charge of what I eat. That is life goals right there. I want to get to the point where I don't have to think about anything except what I eat. Wouldn't that be life goals? Like you just knew your bills are paid. The kids are good. The house is good. Bills are all done. The vacation's all good. You just got to worry about your food. That's a pretty good life. 
Joseph helped Potiphar get there. And what happened next? Then Potiphar's wife started looking at Joseph. You're good looking. Hey, why don't you cheat and sleep with me? Why don't you do this? And Joseph had to make a decision because he very easily could have said, you know what? Yeah, why not? God seems to abandon me. I can do whatever I want. I'm away from my parents. But Joseph says something that's powerful and everybody needs to understand it because it goes into our second point. It's not just doing the right things, but it's doing it with the right heart. Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, I can't do this and sin against God. All of that, he kept a good heart. When things go bad, you know, the temptation for you and I is to have a heart that's angry towards God. A heart that gets distant toward God where we say, God, you, you, you cheated me, God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. I'm not going to your dumb church. I'm not going to read your dumb book. I'm not going to do all of that dumb stuff. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to life group. I'm done. You'll see me in five years, God. That's the games we play with God. And I've played those exact same games. I've been frustrated, God, like you've been frustrated. And instead of our hearts getting hard towards God, we've got to say, okay, God, Lord, this hurts. This is difficult. I'm going to come close to you. So to do the right things, please understand this and please write this down. What are you doing occasionally that you need to start doing consistently? What are you doing occasionally you need to start doing consistently? You see, the problem is you and I want to go to the gym one time and expect a life change. We want to eat one celery stick and expect a life change. We want to go hear one sermon. We want to read one verse. We want to do one thing. And can I tell you, you're totally fine doing just one thing. Just do that one thing over and 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 over every single day. It's fine to just read one verse. Just make sure you read one verse every day. It's fine to eat a carrot stick once. Just do it every day. It's fine for you to say, hey, I'm going to do this. Start making it a regular habit. That's where the power is. You and I are going to change our life by doing something occasionally. You got to do it consistently. So what is that thing you need to do that you do consistently? Man, you took your wife on that awesome date. Why don't you do that every week? So that'd be expensive. Divorce is more expensive. You know how many parents I see that are trying to win their kids back? Buying their kids' houses, buying their kids' cars, trying to pay for a vacation, saying, hey, I'll pay for you to fly out here. And the kids are like, no. The kids don't want any of that. What they wanted was when you were around to play catch in the backyard. They wanted to wrestle on the kitchen floor. What they wanted was for you to play Legos. What they wanted you is to sit there and play tea. What they wanted was for you to sit there and play with their dolls. What they wanted was you, not all your stuff. But we miss out on those things. So what are those things that we need to start doing, not just occasionally, but consistently? You see, you are expecting a different outcome with occasional effort. You don't get a different outcome with occasional effort. So you need to do the right things, but then do it with the right heart. And I love this. Joseph was willing to pay a private price. Nobody was around to say sleeping around was wrong. Nobody was there. But Joseph was willing to pay a private price. My question for you is, what are you willing to do when nobody's watching? What are you willing to do? I, I have three amazing kids, love them, but they get up early. My middle son this morning was up before six o'clock on a Sunday. Could have slept in, but he was up. You know what that means? If I'm gonna have my quiet time with God, that means I gotta get up before them. So my alarm clock went off at 420. 
I got to be up and get my time with God, get my journal with God, because my house can give you just get wild kids with toys jumping everywhere. I caught an eraser to the forehead this week. It's just chaos. I can't get in the presence of God when I got to dodge erasers. So what sacrifice are you willing to do? What private price? Some of you are like, man, I want to increase my finances this year. Okay, well, what caused all the financial difficulty last year? And you were like, well, all my credit cards. Because it's 10% off at Macy's if I sign up for the credit card. And, you know, and I go to Jay's Penny's and they give me 15% off. And then even Coldstone, they give me a credit card. You know, everybody will give you a credit card nowadays. And you can't spend and you can't live a certain way if you expect a different outcome. So it's time you and I step back and say, what behaviors need to change? What's the private price I'm willing to pay? What's the private price to get in God's word? Here's the powerful truth. And if you get it in your heart, it can change everything. When you are willing to pay the private price, you will see public promotion. We read it. Chapter 41. Pharaoh put Joseph on a chariot and made all of Egypt, world superpower of that day, bow down to him. Why? For 17 years, day in and day out, Joseph was faithful. You can read it. Chapter 37, he was consistent. Chapter uh, 39, he was consistent. Chapter 40, he goes to the prison. And in the prison, you and I would expect that Joseph would just be a normal prisoner with a tin can saying, let me out. I deserve freedom. Or pulling a Shawshank redemption, trying to dig his way out. He doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in chapter 40 that he started serving the warden who was in charge of the prison. And know what the warden did because he saw how hard Joseph worked? He put Joseph in charge of the prison. What warden does that? But the warden could trust Joseph. Joseph probably could have made an easy escape, but instead he says, no, I'm going to stay because this is where I am. And for two years, he stays in that prison. He was consistent. He had the right heart. He was willing to pay a private price. We live in a society nowadays. We don't want to pay a private price. We want to take a picture of everything we do. We want everybody to know. We want to post it, brag about it, tell people about it. I mean, we're serving. We want everybody to know we're serving. We want the attaboys, the applause. And I'm not against those things, but it doesn't mean, doesn't reveal a right heart. A right heart doesn't care. A right heart says, hey, I'm here because I'm willing to pay a private price. Because with the private price, that's when I will get the public promotion. And that's how Joseph got it. I love chapter 42, verse number eight. The Bible says that all Joseph recognized his brothers because they came to him because of a famine. The Bible says that they didn't recognize him. Because the last time they saw Joseph, they were waving at him as he's a slave going on the back of a caravan, tied up in chains. They took his coat and they just laughed at their brother. No mercy, no empathy. They just watched him go. And that's the last time they see him. And then 17 years later, they're seeing this guy who's in charge and they're trying to get some food from him and they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. You know, when you pay the private price, people around you suddenly one day will look up and be like, I don't even recognize you anymore. Your life has totally changed. Your outlook's different. Something about you is different. What is it? Don't you want that? Where you've got that momentum that's coming through, where it's unstoppable, where people are like, man, I can tell some things about you are changing. I could tell the way you speak is different. The way you carry yourself is different. The way you get into God's word is different. The way you're taking care of your family is different. Everything about you is different now because you've been paying a private price. And when you pay that private price, the public will eventually notice. You don't have to broadcast it. Lastly, as we close, I want you to see this. You see, it's about doing the right things with the right heart that leads to the right results. 
If you were to go to Genesis chapter number 50, verse number 20, I love this verse. You see, Joseph's father, Jacob, had finally died. And Joseph had secured all of Goshen for his family. And they leave, they go to Egypt, and then they come back. And when they come back, Joseph's other 11 brothers are upset because they think Joseph's now gonna get revenge. So they go to Joseph, they say, Joseph, just make us your slaves and don't kill us. And Joseph says something powerful in verse number 20. He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What is he saying? You meant to hurt me, but it actually helped me. You meant to hurt me, but it actually helped me. And it actually ended up helping everybody else. Joseph got it. He understood. It led him to the right result. No way Joseph on his vision board, no way in his journal had he written down that, hey, guess what? I'm going to be second in command of the world's superpower in Pharaoh's army and in Pharaoh in command of his economy and in charge of everything that Pharaoh has, I'm going to be second. There's no way that was on the vision board. There was no way he could have seen that. There was no way he put in the life plan that, okay, first I'm going to start out as a favorite son. Then I'm going to be thrown in a pit, but don't worry. I'm then going to go get to live in this guy's house for a few years as a slave, but it's going to be all cool. Then I'm going to go to prison and prison's going to be fun. I'm going to get jacked. I'll get a really nasty, gnarly tattoo. It's going to be great. I'm going to meet some guys in there and then I'm going to come out and then I'll be this jacked, ripped, tattooed up prime minister for Egypt. That was not on his vision board. How he got here, he had to simply say, You meant it for evil. You meant to hurt me. But guess what? It only helped me. This morning, you need to look at those things that are trying to hurt you and say, I actually think that's going to help me. God can turn what anyone means for evil, even what the devil means for evil, he can turn it. This isn't the first time we see this happen. Deuteronomy, we see this happens again. Israel was being supposedly cursed by a prophet by the name of Balaam. But as Balaam is cursing, it comes out a blessing. God turned it. You see, you and I are lacking that momentum, but momentum happens and it's because of behavior. So what are you going to do? You see, the problem why we don't like and won't get momentum is because momentum, spiritual momentum starts small. It's one one chapter a day of reading the Bible. Every year I start in Genesis and I read through to Revelation. Not hard. Every year, just just go through. Just read through the whole Bible. Every year, one page at a time. There's an old trick. There were some bodybuilders. They would take phone books. Now, a phone book was a book like this. Some people don't know what a phone book is. And it'd have all these phone numbers. And every once in a while, you get a good pizza coupon in there. So you'd want the phone book for the pizza coupon. But they don't really do it now. And uh, we got to save the trees. But there was these bodybuilders who take these phone books and they rip them in half. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. These, they would rip them in half. And then I finally figured out how they actually did it they actually pre-ripped a bunch of the pages. They would rip one little piece of each page ahead of time and not rip the cover. So the only pages they actually had to rip were the cover. You say, how do you rip a phone book? You can rip a phone book one page at a time. But you're like, I don't got time for that. Yeah, but at a dinner party, that's pretty impressive. Grab a phone book, you know, and it's like, no, let's eat. They'd be like, okay, whatever you say. This dude just ripped a phone book. What is he on? He went to the bathroom. What is, you know, what, what are they doing? You see, spiritual momentum, it starts small, and that's why you and I won't do it. It's just going to church. It's just saying, I love you, honey. 
It's just showing up at your kid's game. It's small, it's small, it's small. And guess what? It builds slowly. It doesn't build fast, it builds slow. That's why we don't like spiritual momentum because it starts small and then it builds slow. One of the greatest things my mom did was when we lived in Madeira, she would drive us from Madeira to Fresno to get our swimming lessons. And when we would get our swimming lessons, afterward, we would get some free time at the pool. And one of the best things at the free time at the pool, I had several other siblings, several other brothers, and we would kind of take over the pool, get all the kids and say, hey, we're all going to go the same direction in this pool. The pool started at two feet and went all the way to five feet. And we'd say, hey, we're going to start in the two feet and we're going to walk clockwise around the edge of this pool. And we would just start walking in the water. And it was hard. At first, man, it's hard. You're walking, it's slow. And I'm like, why are we doing this? And you start to sweat in the pool. Who would have thought you'd be sweating in the pool? But man, you're sweating in the pool. And you're going around and then it's kind of hard. When it gets to the five feet, now you're just like pulling your body on the side. And you go around once, you're like, that's hard. And then a couple other people jump in and you start going around the second time. And the second time you notice something starts to happen. It's hard, but it's not as hard. And then you go around the third time and you notice it's getting progressively less hard. And you go down a fourth time. And then a fifth time, and then something about the sixth or seventh time, something starts to happen. You realize that this is not hard. It's easy. You're just in the flow. It's just going. And then you look in the middle of this pool and something happened where the water used to be flat. Now you look in the middle and the, the pool's starting to sink. You're like, there's a drain. Somebody pulled the drain in this pool. It's going down and something's happened. You have now created a whirlpool in this pool. And then pretty soon you ask the lifeguard for their little red buoy and you grab it and you just hang on that buoy and you're just floating down in the whirlpool, man. You don't have to do nothing. You see, what happened, what used to be hard and what started small and went slow became something that was no longer stoppable because then you would turn around in this whirlpool and then you'd try to swim against it, you try to fight against it, it just sucks you in. I'm praying for the day where we have so many people that want to get baptized at the church, we don't have enough people that can help them get baptized. I'm praying for the day where we have so many people coming forward to get saved, we don't have enough people that are there to counsel with them. I'm praying for the day where we have so many chairs filled with people that we don't have enough chairs for the people. We got to start adding services. I am praying for the day where our life groups are so filled with people hungry for the word of God that we don't have enough life group leaders, enough houses to host them. I am praying for the day, the impact, the momentum that we have in the city begins to start spreading out all over South San Jose, begins to take over the city of San Jose, begins to change this county, begins to change this state, begins to go all across the United States, that revival begins to break out, that the momentum just keeps carrying and keeps moving. And it's a whirlpool that even the devil himself says it's too hard to stop. I should have got them when they were small. I should have got them when they were just in a hotel room. I should have got them when they were in the movie theater with 57 people. I should have got them when their pastor was working at Target at night to pay the church's bills. That's when I should have stopped them. I should have got them when they were small, when they just started. But now it's too late. Let's go pick on somebody else because they are going and the momentum's there and people are getting saved and lives are being changed and the church is growing and it's taken over and a great awakening. It's not just sweeping America, but it's now sweeping the world and countries are coming back to Christ and we're ending human trafficking. We are ending these diseases. We are ending these poverty. We are ending these things because the church is here to not just change San Jose, but we are here to change the world through the power of Jesus Christ. And that is what momentum can do. That's what spiritual momentum can do. And spiritual momentum is not a 
Wind, spiritual momentum, is a behavior, and it starts small, it builds slow, and it becomes unstoppable. What is going to be unstoppable this year in your life? Is your church attendance going to be unstoppable? Is your Bible reading going to be unstoppable? Is your prayer time going to be unstoppable? Is you staying in sobriety going to be unstoppable? Is you praying for one another going to be unstoppable? Is your marriage going to be unstoppable? Is your parenting going to be unstoppable? Is your time with the Lord going to be unstoppable? Is your generosity going to be unstoppable? Is your light of the gospel going to be unstoppable? We need some Christians that get tired of just going small and slow and say, God, give me the unstoppable, Lord, because you've got Joseph there. I believe you can do it for me, God. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to let you keep coming. I'm going to let you keep going. And God, I want to see a movement of your spirit because spiritual momentum starts slow and soon it becomes very, very hard to stop, my friend. And that's what the world needs. It's what San Jose needs. It's what you need. We got enough dead churches. They don't need another one. Let's not be the dead church. Let's be alive. Let's be happy. I ate nothing but juice and carrots for breakfast and I'm happy. I eat rabbit food. Angel and I are like lusting over donuts in the back. We're sitting just over the donuts. It's like wet them spit over our mouths, man. But yet we can have the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And our church, every single one of you, every single one of you, everybody here needs spiritual momentum. Don't you fool me. Don't you fool yourself that you're good. You're not. Because there's a better life out there. God wants you to have it. But the problem is, Satan won't make anything that's beneficial to you look beautiful to you. He won't. He's going to make Bible reading look hard and boring and monotonous. I don't care if you get anything out of this message. I don't. I don't mean that in a messed up way. I just don't care because I wrote the message for me. I'm feeding me. If it blesses you, praise God, but I'm feeding me. I'm done just trying to always just pour out to people that aren't going to receive. That's fine. If it blesses you, praise God. The goal is I get into God's word and I feed me. It's like when you're on the airplane and there's turbulence. What do they say? Get yourself some oxygen. I want to stay filled up with God's word. And this is something, a word that God gave me. And it's something that I'm saying, maybe it'll bless you. And if it doesn't, that's fine. God bless you. We want to see you thrive and succeed, but we want you to have spiritual momentum. We want you to get to the point where everything in your life is hard to stop because God's moving. And where you finally understand that those that tried to hurt you actually helped you. And the greatest help came from those people that were hurting you. That you look back And you one day sit at your desk and you write a thank you letter to all the haters. Thank you for breaking my heart. Thank you for firing me. Thank you for not hiring me. Thank you for rejecting my college application. Thank you for not going on a date with me. Thank you for swiping left or right. Which one is the no? I, I don't know. I'm not on there, okay? Thank you for all the haters because I'm here. And not by arrogance. This isn't an arrogant thing. This is just just saying, how did we get here? Look what God did. Worship team, would you please come out to the platform and lead us in a song? Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? I'm way over time and I apologize. I did it again. If you say, I need spiritual momentum, and that's you, I want to pray that a touch of God comes on you and gives you that spiritual momentum. 
You said, Pastor, but it's behavior. I know. But the Holy Spirit can still be there in your life. Because I want you to go home in your car ride, you're talking about this message. I want you to go in your life group and you talk about spiritual momentum. I want you to wake up thinking about spiritual momentum. I want you to go to bed tonight before you pillow your head, you're saying, God, give me spiritual momentum and help me to do the right things. And if that's you, can I pray for you? You just slip up a hand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Oh, amen. Here, here, keep that hand up. Keep that hand up. I'm going to pray. But you reach up towards heaven like you really want something, like you really need something. Because we come to church and we kind of are coy about this thing. But God wants to fill those who are hungry. He says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. The Bible says that I will, I will pour out on him that is thirsty. And so we're reaching our hands towards heaven saying, God, it's your dear children whom you love. Like that song says that we say, God, we need you. God, pour out a blessing, God. Pour out your favor on these people. Pour out the desire to do the right things, God. And as Satan comes against us, and he will, that we can withstand the temptations, Father. God, bless these your dear people, God. Give them a strength. In Jesus' name, cover them. In Jesus' name, fill them with the desire. In Jesus' name, we pray that they would break free from the bondage that's following them, God. In Jesus' name, we just pray that this would be a new year for them, that they feel that momentum, God. I sense your presence. I've sensed it all night, and I've sensed it all morning. I just know that the atmosphere is heavy with something that you're wanting to do. And I don't know if it's going to start in one of these young children. I don't know if it's going to start in a guest or a visitor or some married couple or somebody that just dragged themselves into church. They didn't know how they got here. But God, I sense you're about to do something in their life. And, and God, I just, I, just, I just speak that out to the people that are here, that God meant for you to be here. You needed this word, and this is for you, and God's going to do something today. And there's a spiritual momentum that's about to break forward over this place, and it's going to break forward in your life. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that God is confirming something that's been on your mind, it's been on your heart, it's a burning desire, and God is confirming that word right now. God is sealing that word, and we agree in heaven as touching these things on earth that they are going to come to pass. And we agree that God is about to do something special, not just in the life of our church, but in your life that God is about to move in a powerful way, in a way that you've never seen before, that the Spirit of God, the spiritual momentum is coming. And so, Father, we receive it in Jesus' name. And worship team, would you lead us in one final song? And as the worship team is coming, they're leading us, I'm going to invite you, if you want to make an altar of your seat, you can kneel there and pray. Or if you want to come down right here, make an altar out of this platform, you do that. I'll be off to the side. If you want prayer this morning, I'll be right here. But you slip out if you need something from God. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'll be here to pray with you. If you need something, you can make an altar there, your seat, or you can come forward. But right now, you slip out. You say, God, I need my spiritual momentum. And ask God to do something special right here. Don't leave this place without it. Don't leave this room without it. I invite you to come right now. Worship team. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.